0: Okay, so we've been, does everybody have an outline? Is there anyone who does not have an outline? It should be, should have been in your bulletins. Everybody have an outline? Okay, so it's a lot easier to follow if you stay on the outline. So again, um, we've been doing a series called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. Uh, hopefully up here are the 15 emphases that we're studying Studying. And we've been on this series for about a year, and so we're at Emphasis 5, the Word of God. Uh, however, because of uh, some things the Lord has been doing in our midst, and, and uh, we seem to be in a season where God is emphasizing seeking his manifest presence, uh, which uh, involves uh, increasing our, uh, pro- uh, or, or at least re-examining our approach to prayer, worship, Fasting things like that uh, we're we're definitely in a season where we're seeking the presence of God, so we decided to jump ahead to emphasis eleven, which will be coming up in a second, which is uh, called something like prayer effective prayer with fasting and one of the things that I want to emphasize is that uh, the reason it's called effective prayer is just like we talk about with reading the Bible, it you know it's obviously a big problem throughout Christianity today that most, uh, Christians, uh, in the West under are very underdeveloped in their studying of their Bible. And so that's a huge problem. However, the answer is not just to read your Bible more. That's a, uh, probably a necessary ingredient for most people, but it's, it's, more important to read your Bible more effectively. So learning a a theological uh, area called hermeneutics, which is, hermeneutics is just a fancy word for the principles of how to interpret Scripture correctly. So beginning with things like, because all Scripture was breathed by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God, Jesus makes clear in his teaching in John 14, 15, and 16 at the Last Supper, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all the truth, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears the Father and the Son saying, that's what he'll speak. And so, um, a greater uh, in, a greater relationship with the Holy Spirit is will ultimately lead you to focus more on Christ, and. The first principle of interpreting the Bible correctly is that the whole Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the number one theme of the Bible is the king of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. So God is not just uh, waiting for the rapture or some silly modern thing like that. God is bringing his kingdom, and his kingdom will fill the whole earth. And we as Christians are to be about growing in the amount of the kingdom we are presently experiencing inside of ourselves individually and together as a fellowship, and we're to be about how to effectively spread that kingdom, Uh, which means more than just getting people to make decisions. We, we, We always talk about moving from a decision model of evangelism to a discipleship model. If we haven't made disciples, Jesus didn't say in Matthew 28, all authority is given to me, therefore get, go out and get people to pray the sinner's prayer. He said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go out and make disciples of all nations. And uh, so if uh, someone isn't becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, we really haven't uh, given them anything. So, uh, so we're jumped ahead to emphasis 11, effect of a prayer with fasting, and we've talked about how uh, prayer is a catalyst to to a visitation of God, and that's what we are currently trying to seek these days. Now, on your notes in Roman number one, what we've covered in the first four teachings talk about why Jesus is the most important uh, interpreter, commentator, and most qualified commentator on prayer in the universe for a number of reasons. Uh, and we also talked about how his life backs that up. The script, uh, scriptures that are listed there in Luke are scriptures that basically t- talk about how Jesus would get a slip away by himself to pray. And he did this before he named the disciples, before he did miraculous ministry. And, and this is why the disciples say, Lord, teach us to prayer. So when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, which both Luke covers in Luke uh, uh, 18 and Luke 11, uh, and and Matthew covers it in Matthew 6, um, Jesus uh, gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. So today what we're going to do is in the 40 minutes I have left, we got started a little late, um, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer and we're going to talk about ten uh, points from the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer was not given as something that we're supposed to just memorize and recite. I have no problem with the fact that some Christians recite the Lord's Prayer as part of uh, their liturgy. That That's not problematic to me in any way, shape, or form. However, uh, and that when a lot of Christians are against that because Jesus said, "Don't use vain repetition," as the Gentiles, because they think they'll be heard for their many words. But what he's referring to is formula prayers, where you think you're going to get some kind of blessing by repeating the same thing over and over, or saying it in a certain way, or or kind of some kind of name it claim it uh, prosperity magic formula kind of thing which is actually, it's amazing that that's so popular today because it's actually a type of witchcraft. It's really not a type of prayer. So uh, what Jesus is doing, though, when he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, it really should be called the Lord's Prayer pattern or the Lord's Prayer model because he's giving us principles for how to pray and what to pray, what to focus on and what to emphasize, So in your notes, if you look at um, where it says uh, under Roman numeral three, about a quarter of the way down the first page, you'll see that I have Luke 11, one through four there, which is Jesus' answer to when the disciples said, Lord teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. Most of us know that several of the disciples were disciples of John the Baptist before they switched to being disciples of Christ. They got a promotion. And, uh, and so um, so what we have there in Luke 11, 1 through 4, I don't know if, you, if we have that outline that I had them make where we were supposed to put the Lord's Prayer on there. If you can switch to that, great. And so the words in red, I don't know if they show well back there. I don't know if we could get somebody to turn these lights down. I wish they weren't all the way up all the time. Nathan, could you do that? Because I don't want somebody there. Or Dana, you do it. Somebody that's, uh... but the words in red are Matthew's longer version. I've so I've superimposed on your sheet, and on the on the uh, whatever PowerPoint. It's not really a PowerPoint. Whatever the program is back there, uh, the the white letters are Luke's version, and Luke does a more reader's digest condensed version, if you will. His version is a little bit more condensed. Matthew gives us a little more complete, convert, uh, and if you'll see, uh, in some cases, some of the words that Matthew gives us are quite important. So, um, and then of course, Matthew adds the uh, verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, saying, for if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your affections." So we'll hopefully deal with that. So hopefully I can get started on rolling on this, because I need to do each point in about three minutes, and I could do a whole message on each point. So the first word in Matthew is our, plural, we. Now, that's really important, because if you uh, go and study the the history of the creeds in Christianity, uh, there's a debate between East and West about whether the Creed should start with credo, I believe, or with we believe. But Jesus makes it very clear that when we pray, we pray as a corporate activity. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't pray by yourself in your prayer room, but he's saying this as an emphasis. We have a version of Christianity in modern Western so called Bible believing Christianity, which, if you look at it more closely, is not very Bible believing or at least not Bible practicing, or doesn't doesn't take Scripture very seriously. But if you uh, take Scripture more seriously, one of the things you'll begin to understand is the version of Christianity that we have today is particularly American uh, in that it's a radically individualistic approach to God. Now, the Bible... uh, the first place to start when we're studying the Bible is to study what's called the attributes of God because Jesus made it clear that the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. So someone cannot do what's not in their nature to do. When we teach this, when uh, we're doing the Holy Spirit series with, and, you know, we do a lot of one-on-one Bible studies, that's kind of our approach here at Grace Christian Fellowship to offer everyone a qualified, trained, uh, thoroughly knowledgeable, uh, with experience-wise, uh, godly uh, personal pastor. And so we have about 10 such people who do that here and who have been, have you know, had seven to 10 years of training poured into them to be ready to do that. And, uh, you know, have been required to read dozens of books and, and to know the scripture backward and forward and inside out and so forth. So what, uh, what I, I want you to start to see is in theology, there's a, a, a problem they call the one and the many. And it's uh, directly talked about, for instance, throughout the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul keeps saying, although we are many members, we are one body. And so everything in the universe starts with the attributes of God. Everything God does, everything he says, everything he's created is meant to reflect him. So you cannot come to a saving relational knowledge of God by looking at the creation But by looking at the creation, you can understand certain things about God, such as his divine power, his omnipotence, or whatever. But you can't come to know him intimately just from the creation. You need to to know his word to do that. The first and most important doctrine of Christianity is called the Trinity. And it's the idea that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in one being. God is, is one. Yet, he manifests himself and in, in, uh, is, not just manifests himself, he is three persons in one being. And so that idea is reflected in everything in creation. Things are one, yet the many are one. Okay, so when it comes to Christianity, one of the starting points to understand is this: when you receive Jesus Christ, when you become his disciple, when you're born into the kingdom of God, you must go through, in John 10, Jesus says that he is the door to the sheepfold. Now, in good writing, you're not supposed to mix metaphors, but the Lord mixes metaphors all the time throughout Scripture. He would not get a good grade from Mrs. McNamara's uh, composition classes and so forth and grammar. because So what in John 10, 1 through 10, Jesus goes back and forth between calling himself the chief shepherd and the shepherd of the sheep, and he calls himself the door to the sheep in the same dialogue. Uh, a door is something that you need to get, go in and out of. Uh, A room or whatever. And so, what Jesus is, when he uses the image of he as being the door, he's saying this You cannot come to God but through Jesus Christ. He is the person of the Trinity, he is God himself, the eternally begotten Son of God, and your entrance into relationship with God is only through him. When I go to heaven, I'm not going to be able to say, Well, I was a really good friend with Sidney. Uh, the Lord will say, that I appreciate that. But, you know, uh, in, John, in Matthew 7, he talks to certain people who are banking on the fact that they did miracles and cast out demons and so forth, which all of which are great things to do. But he says, I never knew you. And the Greek word means I never knew you in an approving sort of way. We never had a, a relationship Uh, whereby I put my stamp of approval on you. Do you know it's possible to move in great spiritual gifts and not be obedient to God or intimate to God? Spiritual gifts are wonderful and important, and that's an emphasis for us, but uh, there are no mark of maturity at all. All right, so... Although though you're born into the kingdom as an individual, just like in a human family, every, you know, Levi and Carson weren't born at the same moment. They were born, what, 18 months apart or something like that? 13 months, 13 months apart. So, yet, both of them, immediately when they were born, and I even before they were born, were part of the furlough family, and you couldn't you could not separate them in any way, shape, or form from being a, a descendant of Adam and Emily furlough. That is that was their 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 uh, I'm using bad grammar, of course, but the the fact that they belonged to a family was part of their identity from the moment they were conceived. And so even, like, in John, uh, Jesus tells us, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. From the time God starts to draw you into his kingdom, you are being drawn into a family. And unlike uh, human families, that uh, that's not characterized by everybody in that family is tall or has curly hair or big nose or... Uh, fat or you, know, light skin, dark skin, whatever. The family characteristics are that you are part of Jesus Christ. He's in you, and you're in Him, and that's what makes you in one another. And whether you like the body of Christ or not, they're still your family. Um, you know, there's a uh, unfortunately in our fallen very hard-hearted culture, a lot of comedians make jokes about how difficult it is to have Thanksgiving dinner together as a family or what have you. But the, the, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner, both Thursday and Friday. <laughs> I'll, be atten- I'll be attending the Gray's family uh, Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday and the Weiss family uh, dinner on, on Friday. But the moment you're born, you're born into a Family. Now, because of geographical spatial things, even before the church went through the Great Schism of 1054, which was the first official church split, um, the, the church is one. The church consists of all those who are in Jesus Christ. So whether you like it or not, your Eastern Orthodox brothers, your Lutheran brothers, your Anglican brothers, your... Uh, non-denominational brothers, or they're your brothers and sisters. They're your family. Yet, uh, God doesn't have, even in the natural realm, God doesn't have you, you you are part of the family, in a sense, of, of the descendants of Adam and Eve. But you're born into a particular family that usually has uh, some particular uh binding characteristics, often which are that they live in the same home or there's, you know there's geography aspects to it and so forth in many cases. So what Jesus is saying in the Lord's Prayer, He starts with R. And that is so huge because we approach God in what Joseph Hellerman calls in his book when the church was a family, Uh, We approach God in a modern American invention that he calls radical individualism. It's about me. You know, if you go out and talk to even Christians today, every person you talk to has their own little religion that they made up in their head, even Christians. And we are so brainwashed into our arrogance and pride that no matter what subject comes up, people will actually say, well, I don't believe that. I believe this. But they say it in such a way as reality is, is according to my perception. That's, that's very subtly a big part of our entire Western culture today. How I see it is the right way. And so one of the things you, we need to understand from the beginning, I'm obviously not going to get through all 10 ingredients of the Lord's Prayer in one week. I'll be lucky if I get through this first one. Um, what, if, if, if we think about it correctly, we need to understand this. My opinion doesn't matter. You know, when I first knew that I was called to lead people to Christ and disciple and evangelize and to plant churches and all that, Um, I was 17 years old, and it was 1974. Some of you weren't born then. And uh, one of the first things I did the first uh, two or three years I was a Christian is I memorized around 3,000 scripture verses. In many cases, I memorized whole books of the Bible uh, quite intentionally. And you'll, you'll say not, not to show off, and sometimes I don't give chapter and verse, depending depends on who I'm talking to. I'm, but what I do often say is, Jesus said this, or as Moses said this, or uh, as Isaiah gives us, or I'll give the scripture reference or whatever, but I'll give you the scriptures while, in every counseling situation. In fact, I make it a goal in every counseling meeting that's going to be more than 30 or 40 minutes to quote at least 30, 40, or 50 scriptures. And here's why. I hope you understand this. I don't care a hill of beans about my opinion. I hope when you come to ask me advice or whatever, you're, you're not interested in my opinion. I'm interested in what God's opinion is. And what someone who's that we call a discipler or a, one of our discipleship group leaders or whatever, they are people who we f- feel will uh, have attained a certain level of maturity at being able to understand and uh, delineate or articulate what God's opinion is in a certain kind of way because the tongue of the wise makes knowledge more acceptable. And whether, whether you know it is one level, but whether you can help other people see it in a way that it empowers them is, an, is a whole other issue. And our goal, is, we have a slogan that we try to live, we want to accept you as you are, but we want to empower you to grow. And nothing is more empowering than reading and knowing God's point of view. And nothing is more disempowering than all sorts of other points of view that aren't God's point of view. There's lots of opinions about everything today. And most people state their opinion as if they're God. And honestly, um, I haven't been to Starbucks in years, so I I was about to say that my opinion plus $1.90 will get you a cup of regular coffee at Starbucks, but probably more than that nowadays. Um, I just use my Keurig. But But honestly, my opinion is not that valuable. But someone who has given themselves over the years to diligently studying, seeking, being discipled, being under authority themselves and so forth, uh, if, if they're representing God's values, God's heart, God's spirit, God's ways, then that's an opinion you want. So um, if you'll note on your uh, under point number one, Roman numeral three, point one, if you have a paper punch, it's the one that's right under the middle paper punch. R you were born into a particular family. Now, because of uh, the broken and fallen world, there are divorces, there are adoptions. Um, you know, and uh, not legally, but in our, in our hearts, Golda is, is Catherine's and my daughter in a lot of ways, although she has her own mother uh, in, in India, and she has a brother. But, uh, but we care for her like we would one, one of our kids. And therefore, I spend uh, time talking to her about family things, the Lord, studies, history, all sorts of subjects, and I make a point of doing that at least once every day, for half an hour to an hour or two sometimes, uh, because that's uh, what you do when you're in a family. And so one of the, the most important thing about prayer, is to understand that you cannot find the purpose of God for your life until you find the people you're supposed to do it with. The purpose of God for your life grows out of... Now, on one level, I I don't have time to get into systematic theology, but you should study the doctrine called the invisible church uh, versus the uh, idea of the local church and so forth. Every Christian uh, is called to a local body. Now, there are some special situations, especially in situations where a husband and wife don't see eye to eye or whatever, that you could only be a part of this body this much and, and that kind of thing. There's lots of stuff like that. But ideally, if, uh, it, it's great to be a part of one local body, but it's also part of, uh, to be a part of the general body of Christ, As you know, there's a church across the street. Uh, We know a few of the leaders. Uh, A few of our leaders know a few of their leaders, but we don't know them that well. I know their doctrines and what their theological history is, because I study a lot of church history and know the ideas of most denominations. But you know the reason we took up a collection for them is because an arson started a uh, fire in their church. And, and at the ten thirty meeting before Daniel teaches today, I'm going to pray for a number of issues. One of which is uh, to pray that the that the uh, police and fire departments of Kettering will catch that arson and that he'll be brought to justice. Because there's a long history of uh, church burnings and bombings in in the world. Uh, there's a particular history of that in our country, and it's one of the most grievous things there. Uh, period in, in in human activity. Um. You know, the, like in India, the reason we're in certain places and not in others is there are some places where it's more likely that your church will be burned or bombed, and it's there's some states and areas that it's more um, less dangerous to be a Christian and that's of course true worldwide you know unfortunately a big very grievous part of our, our nation's history is there's a lot of burning and bombings of churches that are racially motivated and believe me when, they, when this activity happens, they're sinning against all the body of Christ because God doesn't see color. God sees whether you're in Christ or not. And he doesn't care if you're old. I'm still acceptable to God, even though I don't have any hair anymore. And the little I have is white. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wish I had more hair, but, oh, well, there's more, you know. I can remember back to the good old days when I was younger and had hair. But God doesn't care about stuff like that. God, Who you are is who you are from the inside out and who you are in Christ. So uh, you'll notice the book is listed there when the church was a family. Part of our goal for discipleship groups is that uh, we had came to find out a few years ago that there were a lot of people who attend this church regularly that haven't read all of our foundational books. And uh, the foundational book list was set up to be easy to read books so that it's quite realistic to read them all your first year of being a Christian. And so one of the things that the discipleship groups are supposed to be making sure happens is that everyone has read all the foundational books and understood them. And... uh We have a second list that we sometimes call the intermediate book uh, book list, or uh, it's it's also titled uh, books on 15 other major topics that correspond to these topics that were up here. Oh, then they're back to that. Good. That's good. Keep going back and forth between the two outlines. So... um, that's, that's a book that you probably will need a little help in understanding because of the way he develops his logical argument, and you actually can't understand, in, in that book's case, what he's arguing for until you get to about chapter 6 because he builds an argument step by step, and you don't really know where he's going till he finishes the argument. And because he uses a couple... Uh, Poor, and poor illustrations of his argument. It makes it a little difficult for some people because they can't get past the poor illustration. And so sometimes it, it helps with that book to get a, to discuss it with someone uh, who's a little bit more knowledgeable and more mature and so forth. But we're actually going to be redoing the foundational book list and the book that we use by Jonathan Lehman called Church Membership, which is a great book. Well, it may or may not be kept on it but when the church is a family is going to be moved from the intermediate book list to the foundational book list, even though the foundational book list is, was partly done to keep all the books easy. And that is, is uh, probably one of our most difficult to understand books of, of any of our four book, book lists. You know, we have a foundational book list, an intermediate book list, a book for people who are in training to be uh, disciplers and elders, we have a, a list for that, uh, and then we have a, a list of books on apologetics or arguments for why Christianity is true. And I would encourage you to have a notebook with, you know, three-ring binder because they're always paper-punched, and, you know, keep those lists uh, in your notebook all the time and, and be working the list. Check them off, highlight them, whatever. One of the things that I ask people to do, which seldom people do, do, is bring their list of, of the books, the book list, and show it to me because I'm kind of a visual person and if I can look at the list, then I kind of understand what you understand and what you don't understand about our overall teaching and vision. And so uh, nothing thrilled me more than when Adam Furlow first came, came in. He, he would type it up in such a way that he not only had all the books uh, that were on our different list in and and the dates of when he read them and so forth. But he actually had a separate section of the sheet for other Christian books that he'd read that other groups had opened his eyes to or, or, or whatever. And so it was very helpful because you can start to say, okay, this guy's read about this subject, but he's never read anything about that subject. And, and it can help you in terms of how, you, how much you serve or help them. I wish more people would take that sort of thing seriously. It really makes it hard to help somebody grow if you don't have that kind of book list that you're working with while you're working with them. As we always talk about, there's three kinds of discipleship, informational, formational, and impartational. And informational is foundational to impartational or, uh, or formational discipleship. And you can't really help form someone in Christ if you don't understand what they know. You know, one of the, uh, one of the people who was mentioned in our, church, in our Appreciation Sunday this year uh, was Logan Carr. And uh, a big part of how Logan has grown so much is because uh, when, when Nathan became his discipler, Nathan started working with him on what he's read and what he hasn't read. And they've read a lot of books together. And it's opened Logan's mind to understand a lot of things about the scriptures and God. uh, Because you really do need to know some foundational things about all 15 of these major topics. These are some of the more important topics that each one of these is approached quite wrongly in so-called Bible-believing Christianity today. For just take something like loving God. Loving God is not uh, just about how enthusiastically you worship or, or some checklist of uh, I read one hour a day and I do da-da-da-da-da-da. Jesus said whoever uh, has my commandments and, and keeps them is the one who loves me. So how much you love God is actually something that's not as nebulous as you think. It can be measured by, uh, by the, the intimacy and, and the consistency of your obedience and, and your follow-through in, in walking with Christ rightfully. So I've got enough time that I think I'm going to try to get into fatherhood here. But please understand that the reason it starts with our Father, you're, even when you're praying by yourself, I would encourage you to pray first for your local church, then for the worldwide church of God in general. So I first pray for the churches, starting with this one that I'm responsible for, uh, for the little nucleus of a church plant that we have going in India and so forth. But then I pray for all churches in the Dayton area, and I kind of move out from there. And one of the reasons it's important to daily pray for all churches in the Dayton area is it always reminds me that we are a family with a particular calling in Grace Christian Fellowship among many churches that have particular callings. And God's kingdom purposes is, is going through all of those churches. And he has things he's doing in this church and that church and the other church and God wants us to pray for them. It's a great reminder that the kingdom of God is not all about us. You know, there's a a principle we also do where a small percentage of our tithes and offerings go to other Christian ministries and churches, uh, both locally and worldwide. There's a certain amount of our money goes to the crisis pregnancy center because these kind of things remind us that there are many Christians fighting the battle on many fronts that we're, that we're a part of. All right, uh, we have about 10 12 more minutes, so I'm going to try to talk a little bit about Father. Our, the, he goes, our Father." Now, because of in Genesis three, Shortly after God created Adam and Eve, a a thing got in the human race called sin. You can read the whole story uh, in Genesis 3, of course. And immediately, certain problems got into the human race. The first and foremost of which was they were alienated from their father. The Bible makes a big point in Genesis chapter 2 of saying that God created Adam and Eve and they were naked and not ashamed. But in Genesis 3, 9, it says that that the Lord came down in the cool of the day and sought to talk to Adam and Eve. And it implies that God did this often, I think, daily. And for the first time, they hid themselves from the presence of God. because something had come in called sin that had broken their relationship. Now, the first thing you need to understand about God's fatherhood and God's purpose and who God is and the attributes of God is God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And all things in the universe are legal. All spiritual things are involved with spiritual laws that are just as uh, immutable as the natural laws. You know, in the, in the 70s, when I was, uh, was a, a drug addict and, and uh, so forth, I uh, had friends who, uh, under the influence of LSD, jumped off of buildings because they thought they could fly. But guess what? They couldn't fly because gravity was still immutable no matter how spaced out their head was. Likewise, spiritual laws are, are immutable and they're at work and they impact everyone every day, whether you know them or not. You know, there's an old saying, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And the truth is, if you don't know s- spiritual things, they still are impacting you in a way that you can't avoid. And the first thing is that God is a father, and that fatherhood relationship is defined in his covenants. We call the Bible the Old and the New Covenant. Actually, there are eight major covenants in the Bible, all of which uh, develop forward into the New Covenant. And God relates to us on the basis of covenants. So one of the first things you you have to do to approach God prayer is two-way communication. So if you're just giving a list of what you want, your petitions, then you're no more mature in your prayer than a three- or four-year-old that's asking Aunt uh, Mercy to uh, help me write a letter to Santa Claus about what I want for Christmas. Do you ever have Levi or Carter or Carson ask you uh, to help them? You know that that's a uh, when when we're first coming into the Lord and we're still controlled by sin and narcissism and radical individualism and stuff, we actually relate to God by what's in it for me. Unfortunately, our Christianity is so shallow in America that a lot of the gospel is presented in terms of what's in it for you. There's an old saying: what whatever you whatever way you bring them in is that's how you're going to have to keep them. So if you want people to be stable and walk with God for a lifetime, you have to bring them in in a more biblically accurate, complete way. And the the first thing is that God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. So... Our coming before God, we're about to switch gears here. In a few minutes, I'm going to stop teaching. We're going to take a five or 10-minute coffee and restroom break. And then we're going to, uh, Tiffany's going to come up and give our, the announcements. And then I don't know who's leading worship today, but Deanna or or Sam or whoever is leading worship is going to give us a call to worship. And the reason for the call to worship is, you can't just come into God's presence any old way. Remember in the book of Esther that she decides that she's going to go into the king even though in all ancient cultures you could not come into the king's presence except by invitation of the king. And if you took it upon yourself to come in the king's presence, the king either stretched out his sword to receive you or not. If he didn't receive you, there was a whole host of guards waiting to escort you out of the room and chop your head off because you came in without an invite. In in Christianity, we are actually being invited by our Father into his presence. And we come on the basis of Christ shed blood for our sins. And if we come on any other basis, it's not acceptable. So if you had a great week spiritually, you read 700 chapters of the Bible, you led 13 people to Christ, you helped six people get baptized in the Spirit and cast out demons out of two or three people, and your wife was even happy with you this week and so forth. Uh, You know, you can't come into God's presence based on any of that. And if you had a lousy week this week where you, you know, Played video games instead of reading your Bible or some other wasteful activity, Um, and you didn't do half the things God wanted to do you to do, you can't come into God's presence based on that. And there's a lot of Christians who walk in a thing called condemnation where you think, if I grovel enough, then I can kind of deceive God into thinking I'm really serious about repenting and and then I'll be acceptable. All that's nonsense all that stuff that that people who aren't yet well-formed in Christ struggle with. But you come into the presence of the king because through this uh, sinless life and the substitutionary death and the efficacious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, you've been invited to come into his presence on that basis. So one of the first things you always need to do every day in prayer our Father is get your fatherhood with God right. Rethink the gospel of grace. Reposition yourself according to grace, not according to various performance versions of Christianity. If there are sins between you and God, get those confessed. Now, I don't want to give a whole teaching on this because we're out of time. Maybe, hopefully, I'll remember to pick it up here next week. There are some sins that that's why God gives us leadership in the church. There's an idea in evangelical Christianity that you only need to confess your sins to God. There's an idea in some other versions of Christianity that you can only give forgiveness if you confess your sins through a priest. Well, first of all, the biblical idea is that through Christ, all of you are priests. But we are priests on behalf of one another, and sometimes it's very helpful to tell your brother or your sister uh, your sins. One of the uh, my wife is at home not feeling well today, and so she won't be here one of the great things I enjoy with my relationship with my wife is she's a very good person to confess my sins to. Because she's full of knowledge and wisdom. And she's long-suffering and merciful. (laughs) Which I could use a lot of that. Believe me. And uh, so I do confess my sins to my wife. Regularly and often. Not just to my pastor. So um, but the reason being, it's not, I, it's not so my wife thinks better of me or not. It's because our, God, our, our Father, God has so composed his covenants that there's hierarchy in covenant always. And being right with God is, you have to be right with the body of Christ to be right with God. They're inseparable. One of the reasons uh, When the Church is a Family is such an important book is it really makes the case that some people never grow up spiritually because they never stay put in an accountable Christian community where they can walk in the light and be discipled and grow consistently and steadily over the years. A lot of people like their, they actually like this particular kind of liturgy. Or that particular kind of tradition, because they're kind of avoiding the real issue of right relationships. And I could care less if their liturgy is wrong, if that's where God wants me to be. You know, uh, we were in between church plants from uh, 1991 to 2003, And in 1999, God led us to become part of Bethel Christian Assembly of God on Smithville Road. And I'm still uh, very good friends with their pastor to this day, and he's still what I would call one of the men of my council, one of my uh, advisory board, you might say. And uh, even though I knew going into it that we had different ideas about the gospel about casting demons out. Uh, they don't believe in casting demons out. Or, well, they do, sorta. Of. But for, for the most part, they have that uh, modern idea that a Christian cannot have a demon. Uh, and the, the Bible actually makes it very clear, it's only on the basis of being a Christian that you have the right to get delivered from a demon. So, um, so most of the, you know, 99% of so-called Bible-believing Christians have that idea backwards today. So, um, yet, you know, the truth is, God put us there, and one of the things that I've always done is, I, when God puts me somewhere, I, I always go, God didn't send me here so that I could teach them something, God sent me here so I could learn what they have that I don't have. And during the three and a half or four years we were there, I learned a great deal from that pastor, even though I knew a lot more about biblical studies, theology, church history, New Testament Greek, and so forth than he did, he had deposits of God's wisdom and grace that God sent me there to learn. And I've taken that approach every place God's ever sent us, and it's part of of, of why we have the breadth of what we have here. So fatherhood, Uh, fatherhood is where we'll pick up again next week because there's a lot more I need to say about fatherhood. I'll end by saying this. You have issues with fatherhood. Because as the Chronicles of Narnia call the human race, they call it the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve or something like that. Uh, Is that how your words it? Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. Uh, the fact is, we're descendants of Adam and Eve, so we have fatherhood issues. Because when sin came into the world, alienation came into the world. And the source of divorce, <coughs> racism, it, it, wars, everything else, is a force called sin. And I, if someone tells me someone is this or that person is really spiritual, I always say, that's great to hear. I love, I'm so glad you think that. By the way, who are they spiritual with? Because you cannot, you know, there are some people who stay in the church around four or five years and they go to another one. And they never quite come into it right nor leave it right. And they never kind of, def- you know, there's a, there's a thing that you'd do well to follow if you're doing a, you know, we have a lot of weddings in our church because we have a lot of young people. And I love weddings. Uh, there's at least two that I'm uh, involved with that are coming up. Uh, and um, I always say this, define the relationship. Because ultimately, engagement and a wedding are covenantal ceremonies that define a relationship. And so many of our problems are because we're not living according to the biblical definition of the relationships. If, if whenever you're involved in marriage counseling or, or whatever, you're involved in, in, making, in helping people uh, walk with Christ covenantally in that relationship. So we'll pick up more on Fatherhood next week. I'm uh, seven minutes past my closing time. Uh, I started about seven minutes late. Hopefully we'll be more used to uh, the, the new switch And because I'll be teaching at 9.30 going forward. Uh, and th- those who are uh, hungry enough for the Lord that they can get up for 9.30 will get the messages. Uh, and uh, go- going forward, John Gray, John uh, Gray, Daniel Williams and Nathan Hager will be teaching at 10.30. Uh, Catherine will still, I'm actually going to just teach two out of every four Sundays at 9.30. Uh, Josiah's going to teach one 9.30, and Catherine's going to teach another 9.30, her church history stuff. So, And that's so, because Deanna and uh, Christiana and I are going to uh, focus a lot more of my time on getting some of these books written. So... Let's be back. You have two minutes and 48 seconds until they start to worship.